Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Punting on Third College Football Podcast. It has been a long time since we were in the booth discussing some college football, and we are back in a different capacity this week. We're doing a Zoom podcast because COVID-19 is still a factor in late May now that we are. We're through the tough part of the quarantine. It looks like college football may be somewhat on the horizon. We'll talk about it. But we wanted to talk about our NFL draft recap and then quarterback battles we're watching that would have been really interesting in the spring, but now that we don't get spring football, we kind of get a shortened version of it. Hopefully, fall camp still goes down pretty much normal. Some universities like opening up uh, voluntarily workouts. Yeah, I think the way that this thing is trending, I, I feel confident about the season starting relatively on time, but we'll talk yeah. about that. So... The first thing we want to talk about is our 2020 NFL Draft recap. And it was an eventful draft, not only because I think that this was a interesting draft class, but obviously it's the first ever virtual draft conducted in the NFL's history. Um, I thought it went pretty smooth for being a virtual draft. I thought for sure it yeah, I thought something bad was going to happen. I think they should do it more often. Honestly, like, Roger Goodell, people hate him for good reason. But he did a damn good job running that draft because he had to come in from commercial. He had to announce every pick. He had to... He uh, three rounds and he was just so tired. Of oh, you could tell. I mean, he grinded out that NFL draft. And, like, I mean, everybody hates Roger Goodell, but... The guy puts in work, too. Like, he's not some NFL meathead. But, yeah, I thought it went pretty well. Obviously, there were a lot of surprises like there are every year. It was not surprising that Joe Burrow went number one overall. Anybody that knew anything about college football or the NFL knew that was going to be the case. But we wanted to break down our own punting on third three best drafts from teams and our three worst drafts from NFL teams and then also talk about some steals we think could make an impact right away in 2020. So my question to you is, who do you think had the best draft in this 20 second? I have to go with the Baltimore Ravens. The Baltimore Ravens, yeah. So why, why are you so high on what the Ravens did? The thing is, the Ravens have always done a good job drafting. Uh, they had Patrick Queen follow them. Many people thought the Packers were, tra- were trading up for Patrick Queen, but they did not get him. And Jordan Brooks was taken in front of him, too. So he was a fourth linebacker on the board. And also able to get probably my number one running back in the draft, J.K. Dobbins. That is my number one running back, yes. That's mine. And then getting Justin Matabuke, too, who's also at on top. And then getting two quality guards in Tyree Phillips and Brent Bradsisson, who could help replace the loss of Marshall Yondo. And then also getting some really good help for Lamar Jackson and Denver Duvernay and a steal, I would say, 
with James Prochet in the sixth round. It's an all-around good draft. Yeah, it's a really deep class. Um, obviously, they didn't pick super high. Patrick Crean was their first pick. But, like, I'm amazed that J.K. Dobbins lasted as long as he did. Like, I look at the running backs that were selected in front of him, and I'm pretty shocked at a lot of the names that landed in front of him. And... Yeah, I, I mean, like, Cam Akers, I don't know how I feel about him because he played behind a terrible offensive line. But, like, I mean, A.J. Dillon nearly went above J.K. Dobbins. He only went, like, seven picks later. Like, I I don't understand why J.K. Dobbins lasted as long as he did. I thought he would was a first-round talent. So to get him at 55, I think has got to be one of the big steals of at least the first couple rounds, in my opinion. And I really think that the two receivers they got are going to surprise a lot of people. And Devin Duvernay, like I don't think Devin Duvernay is a guy that's going to put in huge numbers. But I think like if you look at his production throughout his entire Texas career – He's a clearly pretty dang good receiver. You think uh, James Prochet or Devin DuVernay has a chance at being the number two wide receiver behind Marquise Brown? Yeah, I think, like, I feel like DuVernay is the more, like, prototypical just NFL receiver. I think Prochet is a little bit different in what he can bring to an offense. But, like, I could see Prochet being, like, a PPR beast in, like, a fantasy league this year. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, I could see him, like, getting snaps at running back or something. And just was J.K. Dobbins in that offense behind that O-line, it's it's unfair. Well, I feel like J.K. Dobbins is going to, I don't think he's going to start right away, but I think by midseason he'll be getting the bulk of the carries there. Because, I mean, who's, Mark Ingram is still there. He's clearly nearing the end. Just, they drafted Justice Hill. Yeah, I mean, I Justice Hill doesn't really do it for me. I feel like this was a pick that they had them as their number one ride running back. And the Cowboys selected CD Lamb. It was kind of just like the luxury pick. Yeah, I agree. I think the same thing with Jalen Hurts. If it wasn't J.K. Dobbins, wasn't on their board. So we think the Ravens had a really good draft. I think I also had the Ravens in my top three. I think another team that had a great draft night for a variety of reasons, or I guess not just draft night, but days, draft days, the Minnesota Vikings. And there's no bias here. I think they actually had a good draft from an unbiased perspective. Like if I wasn't a Vikings fan and I looked at this draft, I'd still be like, wow, this was a, pretty damn good draft in terms of what they they brought in justin jefferson the my favorite wide receiver that i think would be available at the time jeff gladney who i personally say and if you're looking at it from a pure college football fan perspective and how the fact that kenny wilk has fell to the seventh round and we were able to get him in the seventh round i think that's actually a guy that i think could Definitely put on some production. 
with the loss of Everson Griffin at the defensive end spot. Yeah, that Kenny Wilkes is like not a super flashy player, but like super productive his entire career at Michigan State. But obviously I agree. I'm a huge fan of the Jefferson pick. I think he's pretty clearly, if he's not in your top three behind that trio of Lamb, Ruggs, and Judy, he's your number four. And I was still surprised he was available at 22 considering the Eagles picked right ahead. I think they, I think they went for the speed instead of the slot production. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the Eagles just had a different need for their offense. But, like, Jefferson, in terms of what he can do in year one, I think he'll have a big year. A lot of people say, like, Justin Jefferson was mostly – we already have a slot receiver, but I think Justin Jefferson can definitely move the outside slot. I think it's just because of the depth of the wide, of the wide receivers of LSU that they, he mostly focused in the slot. But I think he could definitely move the outside and play outside the slot. Yeah, I agree. And, like – the last two games we saw from Justin Jefferson in college, one he had four touchdowns. The other was that national championship game where he had another good game. That gives me a lot of confidence going into going into this next season. What would you say is the most questionable pick that the Vikings made? Nate Stanley. <laughs> uh, that's, that's a questionable pick, boy. Well, I mean, like, it's there's no downside to doing it, I guess. Because we've seen success, successful Iowa quarterbacks that are battle. I mean, like Nate Stanley, I have nothing against. I think he's like such a prototypical NFL backup that that makes sense that he was drafted here. Yeah. Um, I also heard some rumors that we were interested in Jake Fromm. Yeah, I had heard that before the draft. I'm glad we didn't like waste like a third or fourth rounder on Jake Fromm because. Yeah. I don't hate Jake Fromm either. I actually kind of like him as an NFL draft prospect, but he's you know, not worth it value-wise. A lot of golfer football prospects that we probably could have drafted at need positions, and we selected zero. Yeah, that was definitely one of the more, like, I, I mean. I, the most realistic pick I thought we'd have would be Tyler Johnson or Carter Coughlin, just from a need perspective, but. Yeah, I wish we would have got Tyler Johnson. For him to last until the fifth round. And didn't we draft K.J. Osborne ahead of Tyler Johnson? Uh, no, we, we could have had the pick. We traded oh, we traded later, down. Like, couple picks later, Tyler Johnson got picked by the Buccaneers. Dude, I would have much rather had Tyler Johnson than K.J. Osborne. I think... Honestly, I don't even get... That's probably my most questionable selection, K.J. Osborne. What warrants him being worthy of like a six round pick when there's Isaiah Hodgins, like James Prochet, other good wide receivers on the board? And I think they drafted him from uh, he can add specialty and uh, special teams and return kicks. Good. He had a huge year for Dan Enos and uh, <laughs> the Miami Hurricanes. So. Look at the year before, he was productive at Buffalo. I think they fell in love with his tape from Buffalo instead of his tape from Miami. Well, I mean, there's not a lot to fall in love with with this tape from Miami. I mean, he wasn't terrible, but, like, you, you didn't exactly wow anybody with the one season he had in Miami. Uh, the one undrafted free agent I'm a big fan of is them getting Courtney Davis, a big target. I, th- I think that'll 
I think he can make the roster. I like those a. There's a lot of a And M receivers I like, current on this current roster and that just went pro. Yep. All right. So who do you have as your who had the third best draft class? Um. So I debated this one between. I like what the Browns did. I liked. I kind of like the Dolphins too. Somewhat. I like their back half more than their first half. Yeah, some of those picks were pretty questionable in the first half, but they had a solid. Like, their second and third days I thought were actually really good. And they got two uh, at five, which I think is a huge win for them. But my two other ones that I really considered for this spot were Dallas and then the Los Angeles Rams. So yeah, I like the Rams. I, I think the Rams the Rams make a lot of sense because they didn't own a first rounder and I still think they came away as a big winner, which I think says something about what they were able to get. So I'll go Rams as my third best class. I think my third best class is the Dallas Cowboys. See, yeah, I Definitely thought about the Dallas Cowboys. They didn't have that much picks, but they picked players that can make an impact, and they made them. They picked players that can make an impact in year one. And yeah, I was okay. Their first three picks, you could all. I don't think it's crazy to call any one of those steal like not their steals in my opinion. Like Lambs a steal at seventeen. Trayvon Diggs lasting deep seconds to steal. And then Neville Gallimore going in the third you round. Tyler a steal at the end of the yeah, that's a steal too. He could have easily gone second, third round. And I, I like that Bradley on a kind of a... They needed another DN opposite of DeMarcus Lawrence. And I think, that, I think he could step in. Later on in the season, I, th- I don't think he's going to start, but I could definitely see him starting eventually. Yeah, I could too. I think he's like a low-risk, high-ceiling type guy. Really productive at Utah. And then, I mean, they got probably the best steal of the draft in Ben DiNucci going <laughs> in the seventh round. The Pittsburgh Panther legend, who, of course, finished his career at James Madison. How can you not love that pick in round seven? Yeah, I, I like that pick as well. So go in depth about why you like the Cleveland Browns. So Cleveland's, I think, like their first two picks, I think were really good. And I'm a big fan of, I actually am a big fan of their draft top to bottom now that I look at it. Yeah, I so. like their picks too. Like, Jedrick Wills, I'm not, like, it's not a flashy pick, obviously. It's a tackle, but I think at, he's not, like, a bust. I don't see him busting in the NFL. And then Grant Delpit, second round. I'm still not completely sure how I think feel about Grant Delpit, and I've been... I, I call it, like, a LSU, like, defender hype, because... Every year, there's an LSU defender that has really dope one year, and then everyone is hyping them up as a top five pick, and then they just completely shit the bed and they're not good or don't live up to the hype. You saw with Green Williams, you saw with Sam Delpin, 
I mean, we probably would have seen it with Tyron Matthew. I mean, how hyped he was. I still think he would have had a good final year there, but he was hyped as, like, a Heisman. But, like, Grant Delpit, I think, and where they got him, I think that's enough of a low risk that I say, hey, go for it. And then their third rounders, I'm not crazy high on. That's Jordan. They got the D tackle. I wanted the Vikings to get Was Jordan you? Elliott. Yeah. See, I had not even heard of Jordan Elliott before pre-draft stuff, and I watched some of his tape, and I came away pretty impressed. What? This is a guy that committed to Texas and then transferred to Missouri. Yeah, I know. I learned that, which I don't know. I, like, it's hard for me to get jazzed about interior defensive linemen, and I think that's the case for, like, everyone. Were you jazzed about the pick of Harrison Bryant? That's the one I'm a big fan of, actually. Yeah, I like that one, too. I it's think... that Harrison Bryant fell and all these tight ends were selected for him. He's, like, I will, the few games I watched the Florida Atlantic this past season, I came away really impressed with him. And, like, I think he looked... Much more like a power five talent than a group of five talent yeah. from everything I saw. Austin Hooper going to make a really good... The biggest beneficiary of this draft box is definitely Baker Mayfield. Well, now it's like Baker Mayfield. It's like time to either... Step up. Yeah, step up or get out. Like, they've got the talent. Like, they literally have so much talent around him now. There's no excuse. And they just got a new coach. Step up. Too early to tell, but I could. I wouldn't be surprised if it went either way. Yeah, I don't know. I uh, I'm not in tune enough for that situation to make a projection. But I will say, rounding out my Cleveland thoughts, Donovan Peoples Jones, I've railed on many times, probably on this podcast, <laughs> and. I don't think he's like a super great receiver. He kind of disappointed at Michigan. But getting him in round six, I think is pretty significant. Because his upside is at least well above that pick. And we know he can help out on special teams too, probably. So I think that's a great value pick where they got him. You know, another team I think had a... If I had to put another... Team I considered was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah. I think they got one of the best alignment. My number one alignment was Tristan Wirfs. So they got the number one alignment. And they also got Tyler Johnson and Tony Jr., who I think are both going to have success in their first year. And Keyshawn Vaughn. And Raymond Callis. Yeah, I like I like the Buccaneers too now that I look at it, even though I'm not I'm not super high on Tristan Wirfs as of late, but So, okay, those are our three best drafts. Let's discuss now the flip side. This is where we can really have some fun. Our three worst drafts. Of the 2020 NFL draft. You can start. I'll go with the Green Bay Packers. I mean, yeah. (laughs) 
from. I'm not a Packers fan. I actually hate. I fucking hate the Packers. <laughs> but the thing is, is that their draft confused me in the fact that they drafted no one that could really make an instant impact. Like their probably biggest impact they'll make. The, the person they drafted to make the biggest impact is like, come on, Martin. Or uh, Josiah Duguera. I don't think he's like. I think Jace Sternberger is probably going to be their tight end. Yeah, I, I could see Duguera being their red zone guy, though. Yeah, I, the, the Jordan Love pick kind of confused me, but I don't think they saw something and they fell in love with him. Okay, let's talk about this Jordan Love pick. Because it was probably the most talked about first rounder. And. They turned up to get him. I mean, I'll be honest. When I first saw this election, I burst out laughing. (laughs) For a good five minutes. And now that I come back to it, I'm still like, I don't think that that was a good pick. And the argument I keep hearing is. You never like need a quarterback. You never like, what's the what's the saying? You never. Like, uh, there's like the most important position is the backup quarterback or something like that. Well, yeah, it's like you you never think you need a quarterback until you really need one. And basically, they're banking on if Aaron Rodgers gets hurt, Jordan Love is you know could beat the Forty Niners in the in the NFC Championship game, but couldn't beat the like. Kent State Golden Flashes. Yeah, real. I mean, this is this is hilarious to me because I keep hearing this comparison of that Brett Favre is so that Aaron Rodgers is going to play the Brett Favre role, and then Jordan Love is going to play the Aaron Rodgers role. And I gotta say, right now, I don't see that happening at all. There is no way Aaron Rodgers is going to mentor this guy in the same way that Brett Favre. Aaron Rodgers is the biggest asshole. They're not, yeah, they're not at all the same type of personalities. They're, like, Aaron Rodgers, I think, was clearly pissed at this pick. There's no way he's happy about this. Everything I know about Aaron Rodgers, he was pissed that they made it. He even said he was, like, pissed off the pick. And he also said, like, um... How he was gonna like not maybe put in a picture retiring as a Packer. Oh, there's, I will say right now there's zero chance he retires a Green Bay Packer. Going back to 49ers, to San Francisco. Well, I mean, yeah, maybe, uh, possibly, yeah, I could see that. But, yeah, I mean, like, I think. It's one thing that the Packers drafted Jordan Love when they did, which I think was already a stupid pick. But then did not even invest in one single receiver. Not one. They could have used a seventh rounder on a receiver, and I would have said, okay, that makes sense. Somewhat. But they didn't use one single selection on a receiver. And I don't think the receivers on this roster are very good. I'm going to be completely frank. Which I could probably see him doing it, but... Alan Lazard, I was a big fan of him in college. I think he's, like, an okay pro at best. He's like, a good three. He's a three or four. He's not a two. Not a two on a good team, which they want to be a good team, obviously. They won 13. They, they, they drafted to try to replicate what the 49ers did to other teams, and this roster over the shit on Dude, this... 
I mean, like, if if I'm thinking and I know that I'm not an NFL GM and I'm not in tune with what they're thinking, but if I'm the Packers, I was 13-3. and three, I was one win away from the Super Bowl. Why not go with every, like, the biggest impact you can make right away with that first rounder? Yeah, like a... Michael Pittman Jr., Denzel Mims, or T. Higgins. Any receiver or, like, a linebacker that could have had an instant impact. So, and then I have one more thing to say about this draft class. A.J. Dillon, not a good pick, in my humble opinion. And I'm a big A.J. Dillon fan. Like, he was my Heisman pick in 2018. And... I don't think he's going to be that good of a pro. And I think the reasoning... ...behind Aaron Jones, but there's no way... Like, what I've heard from Packers fans, like, we're not going to keep Jamal Williams or Aaron Jones, but the thing is, you're going to sign Aaron Jones to a big contract. And A.J. Dillon is just going to be, like, there to replace Jamal Williams. But the thing is, Jamal Williams is not even, like, that bad. Well, I feel like... So, yeah, I heard the argument that they think that Aaron Jones is probably going to walk. Or even if he doesn't walk, then Dylan can back him up. And if they go from, like, Jones to Dylan, I think that's a huge downgrade. The thing is, they basically draft, in their first two picks, they could have done, they could have done, like, there's still linebackers available that could have been helped them. They could have gotten, well, they probably could have gotten, more like, Harrison Bryant or one of those tight ends, and it would have made more sense than just picking A.J. Dillon. Yeah, I um, was was not a fan of this draft. I think it's an obvious one to if, break down. If, from a, if I was a GM or if I was a Packers fan, I would have wanted to select like Josh Jones and give him tackle help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Bears are in a, I mean, I just gave away my next team. The Packers are an obvious L for right now. You know, maybe we come back in five years and Jordan loves a superstar and A.J. Dillon's having a great career. And if that's the case, I will eat crow on this podcast for saying that that was a terrible draft. I'll do something embarrassing if that happens because I'm that confident it won't be the case. But... Yeah. Okay, so my next team, I'm gonna we're gonna keep sounding biased because this is another NFC North opponent that I just gave away. The Chicago Bears, I think, had a dreadful, dreadful draft. I was the only thing I was happy about was like I got the Bears pick right in the second round. I think we actually both agreed that Cole Komet was a pick for the Bears. Yeah, but, like, for that to be your, like, top pick, like, I don't think Cole Komet is a game changer in any sense of the word. But I guess he is in a need position, and this was a weak tight end class. So, Jalen Johnson doesn't really do it for me, personally. The position that he was drafted, and I think that was a good pick. I mean, yeah, that's I will say that's a solid pick. Um, if he was flip flop the picks, I would have been less likely to give them a like 
bad grade, but so there's way too many players that were available for him. Oh, they could have gone with <laughs> just Jake Fromm. That's my question to you is, is there any surprise to you? And I know the Bears now have Nick Foles, but that they didn't draft a quarterback anywhere in this draft class. You know, I, I'm actually, I think that Mitch Trubisky is probably going to be the starter. Mitchell Trubisky? Yes. And I, I think Mitchell Trubisky is going to have a rebound here. Really? Which I think that he'll be, I don't think he's going to be good, but I don't think he's, I don't think he's going to be like horrible. I mean, I could see that. I I still thought that there was a chance maybe. He'll be a meter, he'll be like a top 20 top-20 quarterback, and all he does, needs to do is be a game manager because their defense is still going to be real. Yeah. And I think, I mean, they did upgrade the defense by getting Jalen Johnson. Their fifth-rounder, Kendall Vildor from Georgia Southern, I think could actually be pretty good. Did you like the Travis Gibson pick? No. No. I didn't like any of their other picks. I did not like Darnell Mooney. I did not like either of those two guards. And it was just a very vanilla draft class, and sometimes that's a good thing. But there is no punch to this Bears draft class, from in my opinion. All right, so I want to hear your opinion on who's going to be the third worst draft. Um... Well, I've gone back and forth because this is another spot where there's quite a bit of different teams that I was considering. Um, Give me a second. I think Houston was not a great draft class. I don't think it was terrible, though. They had a terrible offseason. Yeah, I think like compared to the way their offseason gone, I didn't hate their draft. Now Kansas City's one I considered. The Raiders I also considered. And I think that's it. Well, who'd you pay as another three? I kinda gotta go the Las Vegas Raiders. To be completely honest. Although now that I look at it, the New England Patriots, I did not like that draft class either. But I'm going Las Vegas. Yeah. I kinda like I kinda like their picks. They kinda had some surprising picks, but I also kinda think they had some pretty good picks. Well I guess the way I the reason I didn't like this Raiders class is because Damon Arnett at nineteen I thought was unbelievably too high for him. Yeah, I thought Damon Arnett if you flip flop Damon Arnett and like Trevon Gates or Jalen Johnson, one of those two corners, and I would have been I would have gave this a much better grade for this draft class. But I will say that all three of their receivers they got I like you think Lynn Bowden's going to be played as a wide receiver? Um, he'll be used creatively enough. But that raises another question is, I know that the Raiders lacked receiver help, and this is basically going to be 
Derek Carr's last year. Probably. But why do you draft three receivers within your first four picks? I don't understand that. With a team with that has other needs. But the thing is, the receivers you draft, like, would it be surprising to say that Brian Edwards might be their best receiver next season? No, I don't think so. I think Brian Edwards could be actually really good. And I like Lynn Bowden. And Henry Ruggs is my number two receiver. But I just question how those guys are all going to get the touches they need to justify those picks. And then lastly, the Tanner Muse third rounder is still confusing to me. I don't think he's going to play safety in the NFL. But, I mean, he was a projected sixth, seventh rounder, if that. So... That was surprising me. The one pick I did really like for them was Luke Robertson from Louisiana Tech. The fourth rounder? Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, who's your third team? Or even your other two? It was between the Seahawks and the Texans. Okay. But uh, I'll give it to the Seahawks here just because they usually do a uh, job of unconventional draft. I, okay, the Seahawks. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of that draft. I got to be honest. Yeah. Uh, the Jordan Brooks pick, um, I feel like they could have taken Patrick Queen. They could have taken someone else. And I think Jordan Brooks... They probably could have taken Jordan Brooks with their second round pick, too. Like, uh, that was such a surprising pick, but he was a guy that rose up draft board really late in the process, and Seahawks have a tendency to fall in love with people that uh, draft that. That's pretty good team. The Darrell Taylor pick? Don't that like. Also another one. I thought uh could have been due time for uh, Jonathan Grenard. One of those Florida DNs. I mean, there's other better players on the board than that. I do like the Damian Lewis, Lewis pick. Colby Parkinson? I don't get the Colby Parkinson pick. We're just banking on tall Stanford tight ends being Stanford tight ends. I mean, that's a formula. I mean, it works, it works for Notre Dame tight ends, too. So the Bears and Seattle banking on neural fees from tight ends from Stanford and Notre Dame. I will say that I do like the Stephen Sullivan seventh-round pick. I think that's a good pick because I think that he is going to be a red. He has the potential. Both of them have the potential to be red zone threats. The thing is, Cody Parkinson is more of a blocker, and Stephen Sullivan could be better at the season. Yeah, I mean, Stephen Sullivan got buried on LSU's depth chart just because of what they had, but he was actually a pretty productive receiver prior to 2019. So, i say why not take a waiver on him? I would say their best pick of the draft, I would say, in my opinion, DJ Dallas. Okay. There I it is. He was a lonely, bright spot. I don't know it was a horrendous Miami and I think he's, uh, I think he could be a good, productive uh, RB2 behind Chris Carson. But they did sign Carlos Hyde, too, so. Yeah, I saw that. 
Okay, well, with that complete, I think our draft recap is complete with that. Um, any final things you want to hit on in the 2020 NFL draft we didn't talk about? Are some undrafted free agents that can make a impact or make the roster and make an impact? Thaddeus Moss. What? Thaddeus Moss. Uh, I'm going to go with my unconventional one. It's going to be Rodrigo Blank. Well, he was a serious contender for the Ryan Finley Never Graduate Awards, so. Well, you have to give some love to the, the punties. Yeah, he'll. Uh, where'd he go? <laughs> what team? Yeah. Yeah, I can't think of any other undrafted. I mean, like, undrafted free agents. Where did Dadius Ma sign? I I think he'll play. He'll make an impact. He'll be Dwayne Haskins' favorite receiver. Oh, I'm just looking at the best undrafted free agents. Oh, Lamar Jackson. Oh, yeah, the Louisville quarterback. <laughs> the Nebraska quarterback. <laughs> yeah, he's actually, that's actually a really good one because. Uh, he ended up going to. I'm going to find it. Lamar Jackson actually. If you watch the Gophers play Nebraska the last two years, was probably the best defensive player on Nebraska by far and shut down. I think he shut down Tyler Johnson this year. He ended up going to the, the Jets. But I got some other names for you. Calvin Thockmorton. <laughs> the Oregon legend. Uh, Raekwon Williams. Okay. This is a guy I'm surprised he didn't get drafted. Lavert Hill. Yeah, I'm surprised he didn't get drafted either. Uh, the Jared Pinkney. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hunter Bryant. That's a surprising one, in my opinion. Well, he signed with the Lions. I could see him. Yeah, if he was healthy, he'd probably be. If he stayed healthy, another another, both both Trey Adams and Hunter Bryant, if they stay healthy. They probably would have gone in the top four. Oh, for sure. Hunter Bryant would have been a first-round contender if he was fully healthy. Three Adams, too. All right, well, time to talk about all. Yeah, so the next thing we want to do is This is something we'd usually reserve for a spring football podcast, but again, there is no spring football, which means we will be dropping it onto this podcast, but it is our 2020 quarterback competitions, college football edition, the ones we're most interested by, and our predictions for each job. Now, obviously, again, the the lack of spring practice is going to have a huge impact here because that's really when we get our first impressions, when coaches and players get their first looks. Um, 
And, you know, we'll probably see a lot of these last deep in the fall camp and maybe even the start of the season. But let's begin with the biggest one that will probably have the biggest impact on the playoff race of this list. And that is the Alabama Crimson Tide, where we already saw some movement. Talia Tegavaila making waves earlier, I think last month or this month. Time blends together now. Going to uh... Maryland. Teaming back up with Mike Loxley. I have no, I don't think he's going to be eligible for 2020. No, I, the thing is, it's, the NCAA kind of pisses me off sometimes. Is that Sometimes. Like, most of the time that people like Luke Ford, who actually have a reason to be eligible, don't get the one-time transfer, then like Justin Justin Fields decides to get the one-time transfer and can transfer to Ohio State. Yep. And Tate Martell. We can literally do an entire podcast about how evil the NCAA is, but we can't do that. So the competitors now with Tegavaila gone, both Tegavailas are going to be the veteran, Mac Jones, and then... The hyped true freshman, the former USC commit, Bryce Young. And I think this is this is like your classic quarterback competition between a veteran who we've seen a little bit of. We know a little bit about Mac Jones, not a ton. And then the super hyped, really talented youngster. I want your I want to hear your thoughts on this this job. Though, this quarterback, Alabama saw a lot of quarterback battles back to back while after AJ McCarron left and Jalen Hurts and Tua Tagovailoa kind of set stability at the quarterback position for a couple years. But uh, I think this is similar to the 2016 quarterback battle between what was like Blake Barnett, David Cornwell, <laughs> Alec Morris, yeah, Jalen Hurts. But the thing is, I think uh, Matt Jones is better than Blake. Cooper Martin. Bateman, too, maybe? What? Cooper Bateman? Oh, and Cooper Bateman. I forgot <laughs> about that. But uh, I think that uh, Matt Jones is going to be on a short leash, and I think he starts here. But I think whoever is going to start in that offense is going to have success. Yeah. And I think Matt Jones is going to be the guy through and through. I think that Bryce Young... If Matt Jones struggles, Nick Saban's not afraid to start the true freshman quarterback without with Tua Tagovailoa. But I don't think that Matt Jones is going to struggle enough in which Bryce Youngs are playing. I think their offense is too good, and all the weapons surrounding him and the O line, Alex Leatherwood and Najee Harris returning are huge. And I think that uh, I think Matt Jones remains the starter. Here's how I'm handicapping it. I kind of feel like there's a very like, if this was 2010 Nick Saban, I'd say Mac Jones for sure is the starter and will be until he really messes up. But Nick Saban's definitely evolved into, like you said, not afraid to start a true freshman quarterback. I he think... He made a ballsy decision in the national champion. Exactly. Like, he, he has evolved in the way he evaluates and chooses his quarterbacks. And 
I think there's a good chance that this is going to be very similar to the Jake from Justin Fields one-year dynamic they had in 2017, or I guess 2018. Wait, yeah, 2018. Yeah, 2018. No, I'm not saying that. I think, like, we saw with that situation that Jake Fromm was the veteran who obviously started and was was the face of the offense, but they used Justin Fields in different packages, um, different play sets, just to get the offense a different look and also to, you know, make him happy. So he won't transfer. Of course, that didn't work. But I feel like Alabama's new something like that. I think Jones is going to be the starter for probably most of the year, if not the whole year. But we're going to see a good chunk of Bryce Young. And, I mean, like, Alabama's still going to blow the doors off some people. So we'll probably see Bryce Young if he's the backup for, like, a whole second half. So I think we'll get, our, I think we'll get a taste of Bryce Young for sure. And then uh, the next big quarterback competition, probably the second most, or you could say 1A, 1B quarterback competition, is the one who's going to replace Joe Burrow, who had the greatest college season from a quarterback I've ever seen. And... So the LSU job? Uh, I think the front-runner and probably going to be Miles yeah, Miles Brennan is the obvious favorite right now. He was going to be the starter before Joe Burrow's transferred there. Um, I would be shocked if anybody else on that current roster beats out Miles Brennan. There's, yeah, I think... Uh, well, it's Peter Parrish has probably got the best chance, and wasn't he suspended this offseason? Yeah, or isn't he still uh, indefinitely suspended? Is uh, T.J. Finley, Ryan Finley's brother. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, isn't he a true freshman? Yeah, and Max Johnson. I think it's Miles Brennan's job to lose. I think Miles Brennan is put in a situation that, uh, you know, if I had replaced Joe Burrow and I was in Miles Brennan's shoes, I'd be so happy I have a wide receiver like Jamar Chase to throw to. Well, also, I will say, I thought that this was a prime grad transfer spot. I thought there was a good chance not a huge name would go there, but like a Peyton Ramsey. And like maybe that's still in play because JT Daniels is still out there. Jaron Williams is still out there. It could still be a possibility, but I don't see anybody else on this current roster beating out Miles Brennan. Uh, no. What would you say is the next one. I think it's going to be Michigan. Yeah, Michigan was the one I was thinking about. I feel like it's a two-person race unless they get a grad transfer. But I feel like it's going to be either Dylan McCaffrey or Joe Milton. You don't like Cade McNamara? No. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be one of the, it's going to be McCaffrey or it's going to be Joe Milton. I I've been watching, I've just been kind of reading like forums, and a lot of people like Dylan McCaffrey, but I like Joe Milton, because he adds a dual threat element to it too. I think Joe Milton, I think Dylan McCaffrey starts out the year, but Joe Milton ends the year as a starter. 
Yeah, my yeah. So McCaffrey has a slight edge in experience. He's not like super experienced, but he's mopped up um the last couple years. He hasn't been able to stay healthy though, which I think is certainly a major concern. Um but Joe Milton is like in terms of pure upside, I think he's got way more upside than McCaffrey. He's got a bigger arm. He's six five. He's a little bit more athletic naturally. Yeah, I mean Nico Collins, Ronnie Bell, and I do think we can talk about. Obviously, we're gonna talk about all these teams more when our previews hit later this this summer. But I feel like maybe this is me talking myself into the Michigan love again. The Josh Gaddis year two of that offense is actually going to produce something. And I feel like Joe Milton's a really good fit in the Josh Gaddis offense. So. I'll save my Michigan prediction until uh, we do our previews. Yeah, that's a good idea. Because that will be. I have to rail against Michigan because they were a playoff disappointment for me this past year. But. So are you going Milton? So day one, let's assume season starts on time. McCaffrey? McCaffrey goes on the road and, and struggles against Washington. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. My next one I had listed here, although I don't think it's a really intriguing one because there's a pretty clear favorite, but it could get interesting. For me, it's Oklahoma. I also agree. So Spencer Rattler is he's like top five in Heisman odds right now. He's getting a lot of Heisman odds. I think it's warranted to an extent. Yes. I think like if you look at their last three quarterbacks, yeah, they were all Heisman finalists, but there's a fine line between like an inexperienced Spencer Rattler, who I know is a quite the talent, and Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, and Jalen Hurts, who are three of the top ten quarterbacks in college football this decade. Like, those guys were all really accomplished before they made Heisman runs. Yeah. So. Uh, I wouldn't discount Tanner Mordecai either. I wouldn't either. This is why I had this on here, is because I actually think that this could be a classic spot where we all think Rattler is going to be the starter, and then, like, all of a sudden, Tanner Mordecai is the starter week one. Walls out. I would not be surprised at all if that's what happens. Well, you know what? This is a similar situation to 20. It? it was Kenny Hill and Kyle Allen. In... 20, was that 2013? That was 2013 A&M the year after... Uh, no, 2014. 2014. 2014 A&M. Would you agree? Is that a fair comparison? To Kenny Hill and Kyle Allen? Yeah. Here's my better comparison. <laughs> Actually, no, that's a good I was thinking of like Oklahoma, Trevor Knight getting beat out. No, actually, I'm wrong. You remember after Landry Jones left school, Blake Bell was going to be the expected starter. And Trevor Knight like shocked a lot of people. Because he came in and was the starter. It's the same school, and I think it's somewhat the same scenario. 
So are you saying that uh, if one of those two loses their, their job, they switch a tight end and no? I can see Spencer Rattler at tight end. <laughs> no, think, he's uh, teeny. I think uh, whoever loses his job is a prime candidate to become a grad transfer. Yeah, I agree. I definitely yeah, agree with that. Did, did you see uh, Chandler Morris making an impact? I think he's a guy that's going to be transfer portal bound pretty quickly. He's going to transfer to Auburn. Yeah. Well, actually, maybe. I feel like Chad Morris is going to get another head coaching job next year. That's all. That's another prediction. Is that another hint for your Auburn prediction? I mean, I'm not saying I'm not like super high on Auburn. I just feel like Chad Morris is going to get another head coaching job. Like Arkansas. We all know how much that sucked, but I still think there's enough love out there for him. He could get like a Sun Belt gig or FCS gig. Or like a like a Florida international gig. <laughs> that, yeah, maybe. Butch Davis retires. Maybe. I think I, I could see him getting a, a gig in Texas, though, like somewhere in Texas. But the thing is, he wasn't a Texas guy at all, was he? <laughs> Yeah, he is from Texas. Is he? I thought he yeah. wasn't. He had no Texas ties when he took that SMU job. I'm wrong. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, Morris is from Texas and like coach football in Texas. <laughs> yeah, he's. He went to A and M. He coached high school ball until Tulsa. Then he went to Clemson, SMU, Arkansas. I, 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 it's someone that I could see getting a low tier Texas job. Like, like an FCS, like a Texas Southern. How about like a Texas State? Texas State, I like that one. Once Jake Spavadol inevitably gets fired. Yeah. Okay, next one. I've got a couple. I've got three more on my list, and there's other ones we can talk about too. But these three are like my really big ones. Yeah. Oregon. So you Kyle have Tyler Slough, Kyle. <laughs> Tyler Slough. I like that. Tyler Slough. It's Kale Millen, the redshirt freshman, Anthony Brown, and Jay Butterfield are your four competitors. The thing is, people think that Anthony Brown is this great transfer. And uh, hear me out. He is my comparison to him is Grayson Lambert. <laughs> I yeah, he's not a great transfer. No, I will say he he improves that quarterback room quite a bit. I think he is given the position of better backup and better presence to mentor Tyler Slough, who I think is starting. I. I actually, I don't know. I think Tyler Slough is probably the future of the position, but I would not be shocked if, like, Oregon goes with Anthony Brown because they're a legit playoff contender this year. Is this a similar situation to Dakota Prukop and Justin Herbert? The Dakota Prukop was, like, maybe the most disappointing transfer of the last 10 years for me. I thought Vernon Adams the year before was going to be so sick. I mean, he was actually really good. That They never lost when Vernon Adams was completely healthy. So, 
He was pretty sick, actually. Uh, uh, what would you say is the next one? I had Tennessee. Because there is, like, five names on this list. And I could reasonably see, like, all of them getting an opportunity. So I have Jared Garantano, obviously. Brian Maurer, or Maurer. JT Shrout. JT Shrout. Here's a name you probably forgot was at Tennessee. Kaysom Hill. <laughs> Harrison Bailey, then the highly typed two freshmen, is your five. And, like, I don't know what to make of this quarterback room. This is, like, for me, the second most interesting quarterback room in college football. Because none of these guys are stars. But they're, I, like... Think enough last year, and I think that he's probably going to remain the guy. Jared Garantano? Probably a breakout candidate, Mary Gray. Yeah. He, yeah, I think he's going to have a breakout year. I think... Here's how I'm thinking about it. Tell me if you're thinking similar. Jared Garantano is probably the favorite because he's the veteran... And this is a team with le- legitimate SEC East title aspirations. In the recruiting class for this year, 2021 recruiting class is like... Top five. So, I think he's the favorite, but Brian Maurer is a guy who actually impressed me last year. He started four games and appeared in eight. And then Harrison Bailey is like... The really hyped, he's a five-star in some rankings. He's a four in others, but I feel like he's the future. I don't know what to make of that. How do you, what do you make of that? I think they stick with Jared Garantano. I think that, I think they redshirt Harrison Bailey, and I think that uh, either J.T. Shroud or Brian Maurer is the backup. And I think Jared Garantano played pretty well last year. He didn't play Ashley, but... Like, Garantano, like, if you want to win the division title, I don't think he's the guy, though. Mm -hmm. So, like, if they have legitimate aspirations for this to be a breakout year, why not go with, like, a really young guy who has the upside? What do you have to lose? It's funny to think about Jeremy Pruitt. He has a top five recruiting class in 2021, made a bowl game, won that bowl game, like has all this momentum. But if they would have lost one more game, he probably would not have finished the year as a head coach. No. So, yeah, it's... I, this is one I, I'm going to monitor because I don't know what to make of Tennessee. I really like Tennessee, but also, like, the fact that everything's looking so good for Tennessee right now tells me they're in for a bad year. <laughs> That's every Tennessee team that is supposedly supposed to be good. Every Josh Dobbs-led quarterback Tennessee team always was bound to be disappointed. Oh, I know. I know. So that's that's why this one's weird to me. This last one we're going to talk about, at least last big one, and then I have some minor ones we can talk about quick. 
this is one I find. This is the most interesting quarterback competition in college football, in my opinion. UCF. I like that one. Fascinating. So you have Dylan Gabriel, who had the big year last year, was thrown into the starting role. He's now going to be a true sophomore. But then you have Mackenzie Milton, who was a former Heisman finalist in 2017. He suffered that terrifying injury in late 2018, missed all last year. But we've seen videos of him throwing. It sounds like he'll be good to go for 2020. At least somewhat of 2020. Like some part of it. Maybe not the start. And then Daryl Mack, who came in for Mackenzie Milton in that 2018. He was then the projected starter last year. Gets injured right before camp. But he's back and is at least a contender for this job. So who is your favorite of the, that trio? You have to go with Dylan Gabriel, who has the experience. But so Mackenzie I, Milton has the experience. He was undefeated. But the uncertainty of his health is something that plays a factor in the decision. But if he's 100% healthy, then I'd put Mackenzie Milton in there. Yeah, this one's tough because, like, Part of you is like, you got to roll with Gabriel because it keeps the yeah, continuity. And he was a really good quarterback. But like, I'm also looking at it in the fact that, I mean, they lost, what, four games this year with Dylan Gabriel? Or three? It was three yeah, or four. They lost, the, they lost the pit. But if you look at those games, they lost a the pit. Um, they lost to... Um, Cincinnati. Cincinnati, and they lost to... Uh, other. <laughs> Memphis? Did they play Memphis? Uh, I'm not sure who they lost to, but they all lost those games super close. They lost yeah, I mean, but my opinion on it is like Mackenzie Milton didn't lose three games in the season. He played. He played two straight regular seasons and didn't lose a single game. So I feel like if he's healthy, then yeah. Like, he's got to be the guy, though, too. Yeah. They lost to Tulsa, by the way. That was their other loss. So, and then, like, Daryl Mack, too, will probably be. Or on switch switch the wide receiver. But, like, he's a really good third stringer if he's your third stringer in this scenario. So, that jobs, I think, is going to be fascinating because I swear there's every year that there's you start with USC there's going to be one one person that gets hurt and we also saw with Florida too one person that gets hurt and the backup comes in and just completely takes over the job yeah you see it every year that could actually be a punty like with the like the Kyle Trask like one play away punty award yeah that's uh Something to consider. So that was. I think a couple other. Uh, couple other. Yeah, let's run through the other ones, cause. Uh, you like Wisconsin? <laughs> well, here's here's my list of the other ones that we can just talk about super quick. Arkansas, Felipe Franks, KJ Jefferson, Malik Hornsby are the favorites. Felipe Franks, hands down. 
Felipe Franks to start the year. I, I really like this KJ Jefferson, though. He actually flashed last year in a Chad Morris offense. So, give him credit. I think Felipe Franks is... He'll start, probably, because they need to prove an SEC quarterback. My next one, Florida State, James Blackman, Chuba Purdy. So it's a James Blackman. I think James Blackman starts here, but Chuba Purdy could be a guy that I could see come in and take over. This to me has like a certain feel to it that I think Chuba Purdy could start the year just because they have a new staff in. They have no. Who's the Florida State OC? Yeah. Kenny Dillingham from Auburn. Oh, uh, yeah. I think that uh, this is an interesting one. I don't see Mike Norvell starting out the year with a true freshman quarterback. I think they're going to see it, what Jacob James Blackman can do healthy in a new system. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, another one I'm interested in is <laughs> Washington. Yeah, that, I also had that. I think uh, I think it's Jacob Simon's job to lose. So yeah, who are the contenders? It's Jacob Sermon or Simon? I thought it was Sermon. Sermon. S I R M O N. That's what I have here. Yeah, Jacob Sermon. And then the other two are, you know, it's Dylan Morris who came in last year and was pretty hyped, I believe. And then here's the here's the end of that trio: Chase Garver's little bro, Ethan. I think I think it's Chase Sherman. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't Dylan Morris like the like the Washington like Gatorade Player of the Year for like high school? Yeah, super hyped. Yeah, he was a super hyped guy, but like Sermon, Sermon played in five games last year, so I feel like experience for that makes a pretty big difference. I will say though, I don't know if you're aware of this. This doesn't have to do with this competition, but Washington next year has a five star quarterback going coming in, and I feel like when he comes in, he could easily. Yeah. So my next one, Nebraska. Is this one you're following at all? Luke McCaffrey versus Adrian Martinez. Yep, Noah Vidral transferred, of course, or else he would at least be in the mix. Dude, Luke McCaffrey, I think... Noah Vidral transferred back to Oregon State. No, Vidral. Didn't he already announce he's transferring to Rutgers? You know, I haven't been really paying attention lately. I think he did. I'm pretty sure he does. I'm pretty sure he's going to Rutgers. Yep. Nebraska Cornhuskers, no, Vidral transfers to Rutgers Scarlet Knights. Uh, Doesn't love some Rutgers. Rutgers is going hard on that uh, transfer portal line. They got that Aaron Cushing. I think that this job, Luke McCaffrey, I'm intrigued by him. I think he'll get some action. 
think Adrian Martinez starts. And if you look at Nebraska's schedule, I... Oh, yeah, this is hilarious. Their schedule is hilarious. They could easily start 7-0. and And then they could lose their next five. Five games. In fact, I think they will. That's hilarious. schedule involves Penn State, Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Ohio. And how many of those are on the road? Three? At Wisconsin and at Ohio State, and I think... Aren't they at Minnesota? So, dude, they are going to be 7-0 and lose their last five. And then I think... I think then it's going to be crazy to see what happens at the quarterback spot. Whoever starts is going to get so much hype for going, like, 7-0. They're going to be ranked in the top 25. Watch, like, game day come to Penn State, Rutgers, and be, like, both going to be undefeated, and Penn State just completely shit up. Yeah. Another Big Ten West one to talk about quick. Northwestern? Uh, I think it's Peyton Ramsey's job to lose, but there's... Hey, Hunter Johnson's still hanging in there. Aiden Smith's still around. Hunter Johnson? The thing is, with a new offense, I think that Hunter Johnson maybe could be pretty good. I think Peyton Ramsey is the guy, though. Peyton Ramsey has the sus in Indiana. Yeah, I'm he's surprised a... he was transferring to, like, a rival school. Like a Big Ten school. Yeah, that's just, I thought he was going to go to, like, an SEC school. I thought he was going to go to LSU. Yeah, that's, or, that's exactly where I picked him. Another Big Ten team, Wisconsin. This is the last one I have on my list, unless you want to talk about more. Graham Mertz, Jack Cohn. We had this discussion many times leading up to last year. And Jack Cohn, I actually think, was pretty good. But Graham Mertz is the future. Yeah, I think, like, I think this is getting the publicity, too much publicity than it actually he's gonna like replicate the season. I think that Jack Cohn you know, led them to the Rose Bowl. Uh I think that if Graham Mertz starts, I wanna be surprised, but I think Jack Cohn is a serviceable Big Ten quarterback for Wisconsin. Like they're not gonna ask him to throw for five hundred yards and, you know, win the game with his arm, but he can show that he can that Minnesota game was definitely a prime example of what Jack Cole can do if he was, if they had to trust him to win the game through the air. Because they basically shut down Jonathan Taylor and they they forced Jack Cohen to win it through the air, and he basically did. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that Nakia Watson's probably going to run for 1,500 yards, and Jack Cohen's probably going to throw for less than 3,000 yards, but have like a 72% completion percentage. In. A very good TD interception. You yeah, really think the Kia Watson's? You really think the Kia Watson's gonna run for fifteen hundred? I don't. Uh, it is a realistic option. I think Jalen Berger is gonna be that guy. I think Jalen Berger is gonna make a big impact. And Garrett Groshek. How good Nikia Watson is. I think Garrett Groshek could be really good too. I think he's mostly more of a receiving guy. 
You know, we'll see. We we'll, this is something we can discuss on the Big Ten West preview. Yeah, podcast. Uh, I'm trying to think of uh, Iowa. Deuce Hogan. Well, Spencer Patrick's is probably going to be the guy. Oh, he probably. But Deuce Hogan's got a great name, and he's the true freshman, highly hyped. So, I mean, you got to um, show some respect. Let's talk about Rutgers. There is no question in my mind, Arthur Sikowski will be the starter and will not only be the starter, he will be a Heisman contender. <laughs> well, what if Noah Vidrol gets the transfer, one-time transfer opportunity and is immediately eligible? That doesn't really change a lot for me. It's Rutgers, so. Um, what what about Maryland? Maryland's interesting. Um, Terrell Pagram transferred. Terrell Pagram, same with Max Bordenschlager. So that leaves Josh Jackson. You would, you would assume Josh Jackson, like he was bad last year. Every year, oh, hold on. DeAndre Francois, Josh Jackson, like, can we also do a punky like a court quarterback that gets hurt, like DeAndre Francois, like injured for a year and just comes back and sucks ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good one. But also, I'll here's you know Lance Legender, or Legendre. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I don't know how to say his last name. Either. The redshirt freshman. Yeah. That that seems like it could be interesting to me. And I see that Tega Viola is already becoming immediately eligible just from the namesake and from the NCAA viewpoint. Tega Viola is listed on their twenty twenty football roster already. So we'll see. Could be something. It's something to to keep an eye on. Georgia Tech. That I'll be honest. That is not a competition I am following at all. <laughs> uh, Virginia Tech. You gotta go with uh, Hendon Hooker, although Braxton Burmeister. Or uh, Quincy Patterson. I think it will be Hendon Hooker. Um. I would have said USC, but uh, where do you think JT Daniels is going to end up? I have a feeling he's not going to end up transferring anywhere. I have a feeling he's going to be back for another season in USC, then transfer next year. Yeah, I think he's on track to graduate early. He he started, he graduated high school, right, reclassifying. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So is it uh, time to bring up uh, talking about what our predictions are for the college football season? Yeah. So this has been a long. So this has been a long pod, but, I mean, let's let's discuss here just five minutes. Do we think the twenty twenty college football season is happening? My answer: Yes. Do I think that some schools will have no? Regulations, yes. Do I think some schools will have regulations? Yes. But do I think games will be played with no fans? Also, yes. I think it depends on the school. It also depends on the university. And it also depends on the state as well. The way that the like goalposts have shifted in the last two to three weeks 
makes me really confident because you already seen bars and restaurants opening up and like literally one month ago it seemed like there was no chance we'd have an actual college football season on time now the ohio state athletic director is saying we might have 20,000 fans in the seats so ohio has one of the strict like they were they were like the strictest state for uh stay-at-home orders and you know like illinois too so I think I think it also comes down to the fact that a lot of these schools are if they don't have a college football season are probably going to go bankrupt. That's the thing. That is that is the single thing that makes me very confident. If you look at like LSU's athletic department, football revenue brings in I don't want to get these numbers completely wrong, but it's some crazy amount. They don't make money outside of their football and their basketball programs. Those are the only, and that's like the vast majority of colleges don't make money in their athletic departments outside of their football, basketball. The only ones that maybe do would be a few SEC programs bring in like, like baseball. Really good, like hockey schools. Even those I don't think are like very profitable. I mean, they might break even by a relatively decent margin, but they're not even, they don't even sniff football. No school. No other sport sniffs football in terms of revenue. Besides basketball. Even basketball, dude. Like, basketball doesn't, does not come close to football in a lot of, at a lot of universities. Now, like, at UConn. So universities' profitable sports would be either be football or basketball. Yeah. And in some cases, hockey, depending on the school. But, like, if, if football... The single thing you need to know about football is, like, if it wasn't, if it didn't run collegiate athletics, this whole realignment that we've seen the last 10 years in college sports would not have happened. Pittsburgh and Syracuse would not have left the Big East as we knew it then to go to the ACC if football wasn't their main decision. The AAC probably wouldn't even exist. No. No, it wouldn't. And, like... If if that doesn't tell you the power that football has in the college dynamic, I mean, it's and like there is going to be I think a lot of pushback about what happens this season. I'm not sure how it's going to look. Nobody is, but so we'll get clear numbers probably by mid July. The fact of the matter is, is that. College football is big business, and big business like this is going to happen this They're year. They're probably going to have regulations in place for fans to decide to do show up the game. Like maybe people are required to wear a mask or they have a limited capacity. But I think college football is going to happen. It will. Do you think there's going to be at least a couple college football games played with no fans? Yeah. I could see... Here's here's kind of scenarios that have run through my head. And again, I'm no expert. I'm not even close to an expert. But I think there's a very good chance there will be no fans in at least a wide variety of games. I bet you all the California schools are going to be played with in front of no fans. Isn't that how all their games are? Um, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, but... but one thing I'm worried about is the college game day. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that would work. 
I I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't they did like a virtual college game day and like just did like their predictions but didn't actually go to school. They just had like curb curb tree. Well, my 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 thoughts also are. I think there's a chance the non-conference schedule could be cut at least a little bit. Like, Mm -hmm. if I'm looking at Oregon-Ohio State, that's a game that has already been talked about a lot by a lot of people. And also Alabama-USC. Alabama's uh, thinking about playing, like, different teams. Yeah, I I think there's a good chance, like, those types of games get cut, which would suck. It would suck to not see some of those games. But, like, if I'm taking a 2020 season at all versus – 2020 season without those games, I mean, I'm taking the season. So I could also see some bowl games not happening either, or they only have like the college football national champ, like the power, like the the group of five, like the New Year Six, New Year Six bowls, yeah, or something like that. Yeah, I agree. So with that in mind, we will be progressing as a podcast with our 2020 college football preview. So, we're still going to be bringing out college football preview pods. Um, We're acting as if college football, there's no coronavirus and college football is going to happen as it usually does every day. Exactly. And, you know, if things change, we might have to edit them, but we are operating as if 2020 is basically 2019 again, which I would kill to just well, have that type of normalcy. Would be, would, the Wuhan Chinese virus can uh, fuck off. March Madness. For real. It, if it were to take this college football season, that would really be the the well, final straw. You, uh, go down to China, Wuhan China, and fuck some shit up. Yeah, probably. Alrighty, well... This has been the return of the College Football Punting on Third podcast. And it's also our first ever Zoom podcast. Yeah, so hopefully it was good. It was a long pod because I we... Thought it, I thought it ran pretty well. I, I thought for sure there was going to be a glitch or some audio troubles, but we ran pretty smoothly. Yeah, so uh, maybe this might have to be for the other previews that we do. Um which, I mean, I'm very down to do an Atlantic, ACC Atlantic pod quite well, soon. I haven't, I haven't done my ACC predictions, but uh, I can tell you who I think wins the ACC. <laughs> yeah, I think anybody, somebody living under a rock could make that prediction. The only, the only, the only two my game-by-game predictions I've gone through are, I, I, I'm, on my, uh, I'm on the SEC list right now. Okay, so you have Ole Miss winning it all, I'm assuming. <laughs> of course. Okay, well, let's wrap this up. This has been the Punching on Third College Football Podcast. And remember, folks, football is a game of field position.